0: You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization, evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecutors to. Author interviews and more. Let's get to it. Welcome back to the show. Today we have with us Dr. Mitch Glazer, the current president of Chosen People Ministry, whose purpose is to pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve Jewish people everywhere and to help fellow believers to do the same. Mitch, please introduce yourself to us and tell us a little about your family. I want to make sure that. Um, before we get into ministry and all that the Lord is doing uh, through you, I want to hear a little bit about you and
1: your family. Sure, Alphonse. Thank you. It's a wonderful to be on the podcast. And I hope that uh, what's said today will enrich your, your life and eventually draw you closer to the Lord Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Um, so, just quick I was raised in a traditional Jewish home in New York City and became a believer. In Jesus when I was 19 years old and I traveled all the way from the New York area to San Francisco where two of my best friends got swept up in the Jesus movement led to the Lord by some uh, fanatical Gentile ex-biker Christians and uh, and they, uh, they really had their lives turned upside down and transformed and I saw it for myself and so Eventually I began reading uh, my Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And that led me eventually to asking God to show me the truth. And I began reading the New Testament and it was through the New Testament that I came to understand that Jesus was Jewish. He wasn't the oppressor or enemy of the Jewish people as I was raised to believe. But in fact, he was the a Jewish person himself, celebrated the Jewish holidays. And uh, in fact, Alphonse, I, I, for me, he kind of reminded me of a, of a, of a street smart Jewish New Yorker, you know, in the way he answered uh, his enemies and so on. And I felt, I, I just felt myself very attracted to the person of Jesus and uh, came to know him and returned back to the East Coast. And uh, my parents and family didn't take it very well because we were very traditional Jewish home. And uh, that was a, a long saga before my my mom died, uh, she did come to faith, but my father I'm, I just don't know. And uh, so I went to Bible College and then went out to back to the West coast to go to Talbot Seminary and then uh, picked up a PhD and squeezed a seven year program into about 14 years and uh, got the degree at Fuller in Intercultural studies and missions and have been the have, I've been serving in Jewish missions all that time and became president of Chosen People 25 years ago. And I have a beautiful Argentine Jewish wife that I met in Los Angeles and two uh, daughters. Uh, One's a lawyer, of course, and the other one's gonna be a doctor. So it's every Jewish mother's dream, of course. Uh, But the other one's not gonna be a medical doctor. She's studying classics and will get her PhD in classics hopefully in the near future. And uh, we uh, have raised uh, our kids as Messianic Jews. So what that means is we have celebrated the Jewish holidays, We believe all of them point to Jesus. And uh, we've raised our kids knowing that they are Jewish. And uh, in a sense, as a family, we have answered the number one objection of the Jewish community to Jesus, which is if we believe in Jesus, we're no longer Jews. And so for us to keep the, the salt of our testimony It's very important that we lived our lives and continue to live our lives as Jews, not separating ourselves from our Gentile brothers and sisters in the least, but that we strongly identify as Jewish people. And that's been a good testimony to my family, to my wife's family. And uh, that brings me to where we are today and your next question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. So um, I was looking at your bio, I have met your wife and you're right. She is wonderful, and sometimes I think she knows more than anybody else. When I, whenever I heard her saying something, it seems like everybody else on the platform seems a little less knowledgeable about things. So that's great to have a person who, who, who knows. Um, so Miriam and Jenny, uh, yes. how
1: old are they? Miriam's 38, and uh, Jenny's 35.
0: Oh, so you're grown up, uh, good. That's great, 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 great. Yeah, so I married,
1: you... I married one off, Alphonse. So that's what's important, you know. That's so we're good. waiting for the grandchildren, of course. Oh but, man, yeah, that's we awesome. married, married one off, and uh, and uh, the next one, we'll see what happens. She's got her head buried in books right now.
0: <laughs> so I also know that you, correct me if I'm wrong. You've been in ministry for forty years now, right? In Jewish ministry.
1: Well, but... that. It depends on where you start my my journey.
0: I, I'm thinking about uh, uh, the days uh, the the American Board of Missions to the Jews in involvement the, right yeah. from there somewhere. Well,
1: I mean, I, I when I became a believer, I immediately got involved on, with the West Coast branch of the American Board of Missions to the Jews, which separated from the American Board and became Jews for Jesus. So I was ah. one of, literally one of the founders of Jews for Jesus, which at one time was. The American Board of missions to the Jews the leader of Jews for Jesus the founder actually became a believer through the American Board of missions to the Jews and then and then discipled me so we after about 20 25 years we kind of switched places and uh, and so yeah but I but I began my first summer at Northeastern Bible College when I was 19 years old my first summer uh, I was paid I think Two dollars and twenty-five cents an hour to reach Jewish people in the northern suburbs of uh, New Jersey, wow. uh, do, doing door-to-door evangelism, <laughs> and uh, so I've I've really uh, been in ministry since I almost since I got saved and wow. uh, never looked back. Amen. That's awesome. Uh, so let me ask you uh, this:
0: um, It's... Tremendous journey, right? 40 plus years um, and uh, you're still doing this ministry. And uh, I love it. You just mentioned Jews for Jesus people because people know Jews for Jesus. G- generally speaking, people know Jews for Jesus because they're out in the street and they're doing this engagement. Uh, whereas children people ministry tend to be um, seen. At least that's how I saw in the first uh, five, six years uh, in New York. Uh, before I really got to know you guys, um, that Chosen People ministry was more in, um, you know, um, training pastors, planting churches, sending missionaries, those kind of things. Um, But it seems like the heart of your ministry is also evangelization and discipleship.
1: Yes. Chosen People uh, was built on a foundation of personal evangelism and discipleship. And I think the personal is really important. So we would we would say, I mean, we're always good for a campaign, and we do a lot on Facebook. You know, we meet about a hundred thousand people a year on Facebook. But I would say that our tone is probably much, you know, which is very relational, and of course that leads to uh, it. Kind of leads naturally to fellowship meetings and and congregations and and uh, deeper relational kind of ministries. And it's not that Jesus for Jesus doesn't do that. And it's not that we don't hand out traps on the streets. It's just a little bit more of the uh, culture.
0: So what is this? Um, I, I remember we had this uh, conference back um, in New York uh, at Calvary Baptist Church, um, the people, the land and the future of Israel. So then there was <clears throat> you guys uh, put this book out and literally that's the title of the book. It's in my hands right now, in my hand. And uh um, there's so much going on in our country, in and, and also in Israel too, and around the world. But there's one one uh, chapter in your in that book, particular book, and it was the Jewish people, evidence for the truth of uh, Scripture. Sure. And he yeah. talks about uh, 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 talks about people, uh, God. So he says this. This his idea is basically the the evidence of truth of scriptures is through their uh preservation throughout history absolutely god has preserved them but that that seems a little too for for a person who is not jewish right especially muslim audience so there is there are plenty of episodes on muslim ministry on my podcast and uh, i just want to hear from you in regard to why they are special, and uh, so so that those who are Jewish people they understand that. Well, church also think that they are special, uh, and also those who are not Christian or uh, Jews they understand why they are special. So why don't we start there, and then then lead me through? I want to hear more about your work. I want uh, give give us an overview of uh, your chosen people ministries and uh, what you do and just take us in on this this journey please so
1: so you have to understand uh, because i'm jewish you know i i have to start with a story okay so so there's if you remember the movie fiddler on the roof and i'm sure some of the listeners have watched it it's 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 like g rated so i mean you can you can watch it and it's uh, it's a wonderful movie and there's this one scene where reb tevia uh, the milkman with the with the daughters who wouldn't listen to him uh, and marry who he wanted them to marry. Uh, Reb Tevya is uh, walking through Anatevka, the village, and he's confronted by a captain, a Ukrainian captain of of the uh, of the of the army, the Ukrainian army, and uh, he likes Tevya and he says, "Look, I just want to warn you. It's nothing you did personally, but pretty soon pogroms are coming. They're going to destroy Anatevka. And um, and but, you know, I'm just giving you an early warning and uh, maybe you want to get out. And uh, and he was drinking vodka and uh, he kept giving Tevye a little cups of vodka. Tevye wouldn't drink the vodka because he knew something very serious was happening. And so there's this very poignant moment where Tevye looks up to heaven. And in, in, throughout the movie, you, you, you see various moments when Tevye has a conversation with God. And he looks up to heaven this time and he says, next time, maybe you can choose somebody else. And, and it's, a, it, it, it has, it's so poignant. It has such great pathos to it. And it's really the story of the Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish people didn't choose themselves to be the chosen people. They were chosen by God to be the chosen people. In fact, the Jewish people were chosen to be the chosen people before there, were a Jew, there was a Jewish people uh, because uh, God chose Abram. And uh, he performed a miracle in Sarah's womb. And Isaac was born when Isaac shouldn't have been born at all because they were old. And it was through Isaac and then uh, Jacob and so on that the Jewish people would uh, benefit from these incredible promises that were really fourfold. Number one, a people that would be preserved throughout history. Number two, uh, they would have a land. And even though Jews have been in and out of that land that land uh, was signed in the in in the blood of a of a covenant uh when in Genesis 15 when in that dream uh Abram uh, split animals and God through a torch and a and a uh, in a pot moved through those two emphasizing that this was an a permanent covenant and an unconditional covenant because if you can't put the pieces of the animals back together again then you have a covenant that can't be destroyed. And so it was a people, a land, and uh, a relationship with God, because implied in all of these passages regarding God's covenant with Abraham, there's always going to be a day when the Jewish people will have that relationship with God that God always wanted the Jewish people to have. And finally, it was a mission. And this is really important. God gave the Jewish people a mission. In Genesis twelve three. We, a lot of us know this passage, I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and through you, the Jewish people, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God promised the Jewish people that he would preserve them as a people, give them a land, prov- provide them with a relationship with himself, but all of this so that they could serve all humanity. And so that's why Isaiah picks up on this and says that uh, the Jewish people are a light to the nations. And um, there are so many passages throughout the Old Testament and even into the New where we understand that God has a special purpose for the Jewish people. In in fact, in Romans 11, uh, chapter uh, 11, verses 25 to the end of the chapter, we learn that when the Jewish people turn to Jesus, Jesus actually returns. Peter mentions that in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. And Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39. Uh, Jesus says to the Jewish leaders who were rejecting him, you will not see me until you say, Baruch HaBab blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, we read that they will look unto me whom they have pierced and mourn for him, as one mourns for an only begotten son. So there's no question that there is an intertwined destiny between the Jewish people and Jesus, the Jewish Messiah for all. And so there is a day when the Jewish people will, will, will come to believe in Jesus. And all of these promises will not only come true in the lives of Jewish people, as they are even partially today, because we do see Jewish people back in the land, but these will come to pass for the nations of the world, which is why Paul wrote Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation. To all who believe, emphasizing the all, to the Jew first, the Greek word proton, and also to the Gentiles. Why to the Jew first? Because God has a plan to reach the world through the Jewish people. He did something special once because the Jewish people wrote about Jesus in the scriptures, and then Jesus was born of a Jewish virgin in the fullness of time. So certainly first coming, the first coming of Jesus came through the participation uh, of, the, of, of the Jewish people. And the second coming will be similar. The day is coming when Jews will turn to Jesus and Christians have a wonderful privilege and opportunity to lay the seed for the gospel in the hearts of the Jewish people. So that when that day comes and God moves powerfully in the lives of Jewish people, they, the Jewish people will return to God and Jesus will return to, uh, to the earth and establish his kingdom and uh, curse will be lifted and it will be glorious. So God still has a plan for the Jewish people. Amen. This is really powerful. Uh, seriously, uh, it just
0: makes me super excited. I do not know about you, um, uh, the listeners. Um, I, I hope it has encouraged you to, as you are hearing, uh, the the idea from the scriptures, how God has initiated this plan and is his plan he chose even before the nation existed, before the Jewish people were Jewish people. It's powerful. Um, let me ask you, um, let's start with this uh, um, initiative. There's a, you're launching a new campaign this year, Foundations 2020 Win Disciple Train. Can you explain the background for this? I understand oh, yeah. this initiative yeah. is getting back to the basis. What does that mean for you personally?
1: Well, I'll tell you, uh, Alphonse, and our listeners, we have all been worn out by COVID whether you've had it once or twice or not at all, no matter what side of the vaccine issue you're you're on, no matter where you are today and whether or not you've been affected politically or economically or spiritually because of your church has gone through changes. I mean, there is no one who has been unaffected. But I think one of the greatest uh, challenges brought about by the pandemic has been all of the uh separation between human beings whether it be through masks or social distancing and i'm not saying anything is wrong we had to do what we could do you know for the sake of public health and uh, we understand that and the bible tells us to look after the interests of others before ourselves and so prefer one another in, in love paul says in in the book of romans chapter 12. and so it's it's very important that we do all these things but the impact of that and the impact of kids being mass in school and at youth group, I mean, you know, it goes on and on and on. And so the personal element of the gospel and of the Great Commission, reaching people one person at a time, evangelizing, discipling, uh, teaching, all of those things have been done through Zoom and chosen peoples benefited from that. We had 10,000 people on our Passover this past year. So it's not that we hadn't adapted; it's just it's just not been fun, <laughs> and and it's not, I don't think it's been as productive uh, because life brings life. People need to see the smile on your face; they need to see the joy of the Lord in your heart. And if you are masked, then it's hard for them to see it. So, the best way I believe to come out of this COVID fog that a lot of us have been in, even though we didn't want to be in it, is to come out going back to the basics, and, and looking to do personal evangelism, one-on-one, face-to-face, hopefully without a mask, person-to-person, heart-to-heart, and to reach people with the gospel. And, and uh, a lot of us have, have done good work, and a lot of churches have good done good work, but because of all the restrictions, it's been hard to sit down one-on-one with strangers and tell them that Jesus loves them. And, and that is such an essential part of what God's called us to do. And so I'm calling our staff and our constituency back to personal evangelism, to do all we can, when we can, as soon as we can. And then when we lead people to the Lord, which will happen, and we've led people to the Lord over Zoom and so have many of you, but but leading people to the Lord in person, then discipling them in person, praying with them, caring with them, holding their hand, putting your arm around their shoulder, um, Teaching them the word of God, and then training believers, because a lot of training has been done impersonally, but we want to do it personally so that we can help people uh, become uh, more engaged with the truth. We run a seminary program in Brooklyn through uh, Biola University, uh, the Talbot School of Theology. I'm a graduate of Talbot. And uh, we run a seminary program with a Master of Divinity in Messianic Jewish Studies training missionaries to the Jews. Now, you would think that our enrollment sort of went down. Um, But of course, some of you know, the enrollment for many of our programs went up. It's just it didn't go up in person. So I had 18 people in my Jewish evangelism class when we usually had five or six. And we were happy with those five or six who picked up, left the rest of their lives, moved to Brooklyn, uh, where we had the classes and became part of the program. But now we, I had people from four different countries, from cities all across the United States. So it's not that the content has suffered when it comes to training, but there's nothing like training people in person so that you can be a role model for them in the faith. And so I realized that there is expansion uh, digitally and through Zoom and other means, but the intensive nature and personal nature of the gospel and discipleship and training is so strategic to the work of the church that I long to see that day uh, back again. And so we're gonna just out of the block, we're gonna start moving as quickly as we can to redevelop our personal ministries. And that's what this campaign's all about. That's awesome. So there are three things I I notice in this. One, I totally
0: 100% agree as a pastor of a local church, I think uh, um, in-person is so important. I understand that we were, we had to do what we had to do when the pandemic uh, shut down everything. But I think uh, um, we, we have to come back. And I've been, since I took this uh, new position in New Jersey, um, uh, I'm so glad that we are in person. But there are certain things why I think it's important. Number one is uh, when it comes to loving. So loving God, you can do in uh, in your Privacy. Yes, you can sit in your room and love God, but then loving others is very difficult uh, uh, when you are not around people. So that second half of that uh, uh, um, command, great uh, commandment. Is, uh, um, is definitely hit by this pandemic. We are having difficulty physically being there. What you just said, putting your arm around somebody, answering some of those questions, being in person is so important. So I agree 100% love that. So the question is, uh, are you guys uh, getting other churches involved? Are you sending your missionaries? So the, the problem is if you're doing if you're doing this online, then... Uh, You're telling the people, like, hey, be in person, but we're going to be online teaching you how to be in person. So what's going on there?
1: You know, AJ, you've only been there less than a year, I would imagine. But, you know, I usually preach at your church every year, every year and a half, and have been doing that for the last almost 40 years. And uh, because I used to be very involved at First Baptist and it's a big part of my heart. And it's where part of where I was discipled. It was I, I, I joined a, a Baptist church down the road from First Baptist Metuchen, but First Baptist Metuchen was actually the first church I went to regularly, and uh, and so I love the church and and you you've you've taken over from a, a, a absolutely great man of God Jim Miller and uh, I think you're going to do a wonderful job there I know you are and uh, they're a loving wonderful church and uh, so we'd love to get back to First Baptist Metuchen and uh, i'll be going down the road in just a few months to uh, sarowitz which was my my which is still my home sending church and so you know chosen people does have messianic congregations not because we think there's any, anything wrong with uh, the evangelical church in general but uh, but messianic congregations just a great place to evangelize and to uh, disciple jewish people and so uh, we have one in manhattan we have one in Brooklyn. We have one in LA. We have one in Baltimore. We have one in Northern Virginia, and uh, and then we have them all over the globe. We're probably involved with about thirty or forty Messianic congregations that we either staff or pat or began, founded uh, throughout the world, including some in Israel. And so we're we're very excited about doing everything uh, in person. We're not going to sacrifice our safety. Or the safety of others or uh, we're very concerned global citizens and uh, we you know we believe that you should be unselfish and just because you want to do something doesn't mean you should do it but we are on alert brother we are we are like tigers yes. ready ready to pounce <laughs> right so
0: uh, you already answered uh, the third part of my question regarding what you just shared uh, so my question would have been how has COVID impacted how CPM does ministry? That would have been my question, but you, part of that, you already answered, but still um, I would like to hear if you hear additional thoughts about CPM uh, ministry.
1: So here, here's a good, here, again, a good story. So um, things shut down really, really quickly. I think I shut down things pretty, pretty quick because mm. people like, uh, your wife were uh, commuting to CPM and others were commuting to CPM. And so I I felt like it was just unsafe. So I, I shut our offices down in Manhattan. I mean, we're in 20 cities in the U S and 20 countries actually around the globe, but, but I shut us down quickly, uh, because I I knew that it was going to be bad. And, uh, and so, uh, I was, I didn't know, none of us really knew what to do. We were already pretty digitally up and running because uh, we do a lot of videos and and we were all already very active in social media and Facebook ads and things like that. But our, but you know, Bible studies, congregations, I mean, like everybody else, we were face to face, person to person. You know, we may have recorded it, we may have had cameras keeping us, you know, uh, live streaming also, but it was never something we took very, very seriously. So we shut down our Brooklyn congregation, which is small, you know, and uh, 30, 40 people. And about two weeks into it, uh, one of our uh, missionaries in London uh, had a friend who had a relative in Brooklyn. And that person in Brooklyn was open to the gospel, what was an unsaved Jewish guy. And so... Uh, They wanted us, the London missionaries wanted us to reach out to this guy in Brooklyn, so we did, and invited him to our online service, the second, either the first or second week. And uh, he saw the service and was part of it, and then we followed up with him by Zoom, and he prayed to accept the Lord. And that was God's little sign to me that things were going to be okay. Amen. Not ideal, obviously. (laughs) <laughs> but God was going to use us anyway. I never knew it was possible for someone to accept Jesus, you know, on a Zoom call. And, uh, and then we began discipling him on a Zoom call. And now that we're back meeting in person, he's, he's part of the congregation. And this, you can multiply this all over the place. We had so many online outreach opportunities. And Alphonse, I'll tell you something. It was good for Jewish work. And the reason is... Because a lot of Jewish people don't want other people, their family members, husbands, wives, kids, parents, they don't want them looking over their shoulder when they're trying to uh, figure out whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. There's a lot of community rejection involved with the Jewish people believing in Jesus still. And so the fact that someone could privately go online and consider uh, Jesus is really actually pretty marvelous for us. And so one of the things that we're going to do, and we're hoping to do, as much as we're dying to be in person, and we really, really are, and we're already starting to do it a lot more, we're going to take what we learned in the darkness and bring it into the light. You know, it's always a good thing to do. And so we will continue to do a hybrid outreach. And as much as we're going to do in person and focus on it, we've got a great digital media team uh, that's going to be making sure that we do a lot of high quality evangelistic and discipleship work online. And so that's where we've been uh, during COVID and uh, can't get mm-hmm. over soon enough for me, brother. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, God has been good and God has been faithful. And uh, we're looking forward to continue some, good, uh, some really good online outreaches. In fact, one of the things that we discovered was online small group follow-up Bible studies that are actually regional. And we've had uh, 25, 30 Jewish people every month attending these Bible studies. We run them probably five, six times a year. And um, a lot of the people we've met on Facebook, uh, we invite them to these uh, little Bible studies. And it's been a great way to follow up. And we, we, we recently had a Jewish woman from New Jersey come to faith at one of these online follow-up Bible studies. So We're excited about what God's doing, but we're looking forward to doing it in person once again and continuing our online ministries.
0: You talked some uh, about secular Israelis in your recent blog post. What are some differences between approaching secular Israeli versus uh, Orthodox
1: Jew? Yeah, there's a huge difference. Um, The uh, secular Israelis are... They're like secular Americans, but they have all the Jewish prejudices against Jesus. And so uh, you can't. And the funny thing is, is because they do study the Old Testament in uh, they do study the Old Testament in uh, in school. So they are able to um, they're they're biblically literate. They don't believe the Bible is the word of God. They're very, very secular in their values and ethics and everything else. And they really dislike Orthodox Judaism, which is important to note. And so in Israel, you don't have to, um, they're Israelis, Israel's a country. It's not just like, it's not like Jewish evangelism in the United States. Um, um, Israelis won't feel that they have to stop being Jewish in order to believe in Jesus because they're Israelis, they live in Israel. So in order to stop being Jewish, or in their mind, stop being an Israeli, they'd have to move away from Israel and and leave the country. And so uh, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic. And so all all of the argumentation uh, with a secular Israeli uh, is the argumentation I would use with agnostics or secular people in the United States. Uh, But in a sense, many Israelis are even more open to the gospel because they don't want to become Orthodox Jews and they're searching for some kind of spirituality. A lot of Israelis flock to Eastern religions. And so they're actually quite open and and not very threatened uh, by Jesus. We actually have 25 staff members in Israel. And I only wish that the kids at NYU were as open as some of the college students in Israel. Uh, uh, to the gospel. So I think that we're having a very fruitful ministry among secular Jewish uh, young people in Israel. And it goes beyond uh, Israel also, uh, Alphonse, because uh, one of the cultural phenomenas in Israel is that after mandatory army service for three years for men, two years for women, Israelis then travel usually for four to six months, sometimes even up to a year. And so Chosen People Ministries all over the globe has set up youth hostels and programs to reach traveling Israelis. 99% of them are secular. And so we are able to reach traveling Israelis in New Zealand, Australia, in mid-China, in Hong Kong, in Germany, um, all over the place. And we're very excited about a new ministry that we're starting this year called Hosting Israelis, where we will be recruiting and training uh, Christians all over America to host Israelis in their homes as they travel around. And we will have an up. we've actually created kind of a free Airbnb. We have a website, we have uh, an app in Hebrew so that Israelis can actually look up places to stay with Christians all over the United States. And it's also expanding uh, globally. Uh, in And will be in a, a variety of different languages so uh, good question alphonse we're we're, we're, expecting, awesome. we're expecting a really wonderful harvest among more secular and probably younger israelis wow. that that's awesome and uh, so ha- I, I know I, I have uh, two more
0: questions, but for this one uh, so uh, so if i am if I want to host um traveling Israeli um, can I just uh, reach out to you guys and say that, hey, sign me up or put me on your website? How does it work?
1: Yeah, all you have to go is to chosenpeople.com and just leave us a message and we'll get someone to contact you and tell you. Uh, we're going to start a pilot program probably sometime in the early summer. Uh, we, we've we been ready to go for, for actually a year and a half. The problem, of course, is Israel's ben. been shut down and nobody's been traveling. Yeah.
0: And pandemic, yeah, <laughs> so,
1: yeah. So we're like the army that, you know, weapons loaded, shoes shined, ready to go. Uh, so we, we look like it looks like things are loosening up and we'll try a pilot program in uh, early summer. So if you'd like to be involved with that, you know, chosenpeople.com. Just go and, uh, and, and request, uh, say, tell me more about hosting Israelis. and We'll get right back to you.
0: Awesome. All right. So two more questions. These are the last two questions. One. Um, Thinking about uh, Israelis and Jewish people in general. So, in in um, in the United States, uh, uh, for the last day, uh, uh, I would say, um, since the uh, pandemic, things have gone really, 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 really bad when it comes to unity and uh, uh, and especially the previous administration. Um, in that administration, when uh, when the time. You know, during the election time, there was a lot of uh, um, a lot of pushback to the evangelical church and their association with Israel, and then the election were going on in Israel too. So there was a lot of that going on. Uh, political things are affecting uh, uh, church's relationship with the, uh, with with Israel or for church's relationship or support for Israel. So is CPM um, doing something to help the church to understand that biblical narrative, why we should be, we should be supporting Israel. So I just want to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, uh, as you would imagine, uh, it's very hard to stay in your lane, and it's very hard to stay apolitical when we are fully human beings, and uh, we live, at least I live, you know, we live in America, and we have political concerns on um, all sorts of all sorts. And, uh, and yet um, I feel that in our ministry, we needed to sort of rise above the fray and try and maintain the unity of the body and to focus on Jesus and on our love for Israel and the Jewish people and our, our interest that goes far beyond politics. It really goes to the heart of what we're all about because we just we just really want to see Jewish people come to know Jesus as their messiah. And uh, so we do believe that as much as the church can support Israel and pray for the peace of Jerusalem Psalm 122 verse 6 that's such a wonderful testimony and here's why. Because historically Jewish people feel that Christians persecuted Jews. I mean, I was raised that way. I was born in Brooklyn, raised in the borough of Queens, and I would if I was walking down the street, I would cross the street in order to avoid a church. And, and uh, I was called a lot of nasty names. Even growing up in Queens, you would think that that wouldn't happen by uh, uh, Christians. I believe Christians in name only, but they claim to be Christians. And so there's really bad blood throughout the centuries. Uh, Solomon Grazel, great Jewish historian said, the history of Judaism and Christianity is written in blood and punctuated with violence. And that really describes it. And, uh, and so every Jewish person usually expects Christians to be against the Jewish people, against Israel, even though we know that as evangelicals, that evangelicals, at least in the old days, uh, used to be the most pro-Israel group around. But Jewish people don't know that at all. And it's not that Jewish people personalize it with their Gentile Christian friends or Gentile friends who might even be nominal Christians, uh, but it's it's characterized, it's a characterization of Christianity. Jews don't want anything to do with Christianity because it's been hostile. My grandmother, when I told her I was a believer, said, we, we, we fled Russia to get away from people like you, and now you're one of them. And that wasn't, that wasn't too good. And, uh, and and my grandparents never opened up to the gospel that I know know of. Why? Because Christianity was a hostile force. So when when Christians can show a love for the Jewish people, and that oftentimes is reflected in a more positive attitude towards the nation of Israel. When that happens, then that is absolutely one of the most powerful testimonies a Christian could have uh, uh, with their Jewish friends and neighbors. Uh, If you could say, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you know, that that means a lot. Now, there are a lot of Jewish people that are uh, very concerned about uh, politics and and uh, really uh, want the Palestinians to uh, do better and uh, and so on. And, you know, I think in general, a lot of Jewish people are like that. I'm like that. Uh, I want to see Palestinians and Israeli Jews come to know Jesus. And when they come to know Jesus, they get along just fine. And I've seen it. I've led now probably 50 trips to Israel uh, with a lot of them with younger people. And I'll tell you, in the past, you haven't seen joy till you've seen Palestinian and Jewish young people dancing uh, and uh, praying together and worshiping together. There There is a commonality in knowing Jesus as the Messiah. Problem is, is that politics creeps in and we understand why but as much as we can focus on on the Lord, uh, that is a great way uh, to pave the path towards unity uh, between uh, Jewish young people and Arab young people in general. And uh, and so we want Christians to love Israel, uh, not at the expense of not loving Palestinians. Some people say, well, I I feel like I have to choose between Israeli Jews and Palestinians. And I say, "That's, that's terrible, you know? Uh, that's like Jesus saying, you know, I love all of you except a couple of you. You know, I mean, it's it's terrible. You don't have to choose. Um, God's love is big enough to embrace everybody, and uh, and we should love with His love.
0: That's that's excellent. Um, I think is every Christian needs to hear that. Every preacher need to preach that. Um, and I think if we do that, even in our context here, whether we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, we're talking about Palestinians and Israelis, or we're talking about uh, uh, different ethnicities in our own country in the United States, this is, this message is true, that Jesus is for all. Um, so, uh, let me uh, ask you the last question I have your book, Isaiah 53, explained. Yeah. How does this passage in particular
1: Help uh, reach out to Jews. Thank you for that. Uh, I, I realize it's a very undramatic title. People say, "What's the book about?" I said, "Well, actually, it, it explains Isaiah 53." <laughs> you know, it could have been Isaiah 53 revealed, or 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 something. But but it, it
0: you, you really should is... you should redo it when you do <laughs> the anniversary, like ten years or five years. well blah, it's been already. How long? Has yeah. been? It's been it, it
1: has time. been. It's it's in about. Uh, 15, 16, 15,
0: 16. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, So you should just do the review or, you know, the the next volume and add some, your understanding and then change the title.
1: That would be awesome. (laughs) There you go. Uh, New and improved. Uh, It it goes verse by verse to this great chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant. And it actually begins earlier because uh, it begins in chapter 52 and goes through the end of chapter 53. And it speaks about the servant of the Lord who suffers for the sins of the Jewish people and for the world, actually, and who is led uh, like a lamb to his slaughter, silent before his shears is silent. And uh, he bears the sin of Jews and Gentiles. And then the great part is the, is the, is the turn in uh, verses, uh, really verses 9 and 10, where we see that not only did this servant of the Lord uh, die for the sins of the Jewish people, like the atoning sacrifices on the day of atonement, but he also rose from the dead because uh, it says clearly that he will divide his portion uh, 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 with the mighty. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's clear uh, that he rose from the dead. So I always like, when I speak on Isaiah 53, I always like to ask the question, So, in light of everything we've learned from Isaiah chapter 53 and how the New Testament shows the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 so clearly, then answer the question Is this servant of the Lord in this Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus ever came, is this servant of the Lord dead or alive? (laughs) You know, make, take, is it, take a choice. It's got to be one or the other, right? Dead or alive. But of course, we understand he died but he's alive. And those two truths are wed together by the resurrection. And so clearly Jesus is the only person, the only Jewish person in human history who actually died and rose from the dead, but offered, but his death was not a normal death. His his death was actually detailed as an atoning sacrifice. And so Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead and that is the nature of the gospel. I love Paul's commentary on Isaiah 53. At least I believe it's his commentary. I'll ask him more specifically when I see him. But, in, but he, he writes, uh, he made him, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that really, that really nails it. That is the gospel. And so 700 years before Jesus ever came, a very specific, detailed prophecy of his life, death, and resurrection was uh, put forward by Isaiah, the great prophet of Israel. And we know that Jesus fulfilled this passage impeccably. Amen. All right. So as we close, tell me a joke. Please. Okay. So uh, let's see, you know, now, I mean, I can tell a shaggy dog story, Alphonse, but, you know, <laughs> a, a good, a good Jewish joke. Um, I, I, the punchlines are all in Yiddish. So, you know, it's, it's very hard to tell a good Jewish joke, um, but um, okay. So the, the Hasidic Jewish guy uh, had a talking parrot and he, uh, he went into a restaurant and he ordered a Coke and I'm cleaning this up because it really was a bar. And so he, he went into the <laughs> restaurant and he ordered a Coke and uh, the, uh, the waitress looked at the Hasidic Jew and said um, and said to the, the, uh, the, to the Hasidic Jew, uh, where do you get one of these? The parrot answered and said, oh, there, there are a lot of them in Brooklyn. <laughs>
0: all right that's really good uh with this not
1: bad not bad
0: thank you so much for coming on the show mitch it was uh, great to have you and uh thank you to all our listeners if you appreciate this podcast please be sure to leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.